Jabronis. All right, Jabronis, we're back. And we're sort of right back where we all started almost with the sort of creepy, sleazeball, bum, casting couch, kind of how-you-doing look with the, uh, with the studio here and the compound. Um, so as you guys are aware, I think I briefly discussed it last week, uh, I'm in the middle of a move. So the movers came and packed all the big stuff up. The compound goods are pretty much gone with the exception of this lawn chair and a couple, you know, some, mo- some mobile equipment so I can keep the show on the road. Uh, so this is what we're working with. We got Randy's bed on the ground here. It's just a bunch of pillows and a sheet. As you can see, there's pretty much nothing going on in the house right now. I'm in my living room on a, a broken lawn chair like a jabroni uh, doing you know the one final recording from the original compound. And then we're on to bigger and better things, hopefully. So uh, exciting stuff. Uh, exciting stuff going on. Things were, things were busy. I hope everybody had a good week. Um, I, mine was hectic. Just going to put that out there. Mine was hectic. So uh, apparently so was everybody else's or at least a couple other people. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, you got to go look this up. Wild stuff going on in Puerto Rico right now. Ricky Martin. Everyone knows Ricky Martin, uh, La Vida Loca, living La Vida Loca, and some of the other stuff he's done. Apparently... He's being charged now with a lot of things. So we'll give you the quick, the quick and dirty here. Ricky Martin was apparently having a, a relationship, a romantic relationship for seven months with his 21-year-old nephew. Okay, they broke it off, and now the nephew is uh, accusing him, and he's being charged with... Um, assault, incest, rape, abuse, the whole gamut. I don't know if it's pedophilia because I think because he's 21. Uh, I don't think it, it falls in the realm of pedophilia over there in Puerto Rico, but the whole thing. So that was just just the headline. It that's you got to look into the articles that they have on it, kind of digging into uh, the relationship and the reasons and all the stuff that the kids said that Ricky Martin did to him over the past couple years or, or within the last couple years. But the headline itself is out of control. Ricky Martin, who I think has been well known that that he was a gay guy. Uh, I don't think, I, I know there was jokes about it years ago when he wasn't like really out of the closet, but I'm, I'm pretty sure since then he's been out of the closet. I don't know. But he's having an affair with a dude, or he's having a relationship with a dude, a 21-year-old dude, a barely legal dude. He's, he's doing rape to him, verbal, physical abuse, and sexual assault to him. And it's his nephew. Okay? that's He's the uncle. All right? Think about that for a second. Think about you having a relationship with your uncle. Doing sex. Sex relationship. That's Wild. Even if it was a, a consensual relationship and they were in love with each other, it doesn't matter. That's your nephew, dude. I mean, what are we doing here? So he's facing charges. His lawyers say, 
All that stuff is unequivocally false. He didn't do rape. He didn't abuse him. It's all fake. However, comma, they made no mention of the fact that he was actually in a relationship with his nephew. So they're not saying anything about that, which I'm sure most of you know, you don't have to be a lawyer to figure this one out. It's not legal to be in relationships with your, with your relatives like that. It's called incest, all right? And apparently in Puerto Rico, you pay a heavy fine for it. They can, he can face up to 50 years in prison just for the incest alone. That's agnostic of the rape and the assaults and abuse and stuff. So Ricky Martin's in over his head right now. I've seen a lot of uh, already, you know, like trolling captions and Instagram posts about it, how he was really living La Vida Loca, uh, some other stuff I forgot. Funny stuff that I'm not creative enough to think of, but it was funny stuff. Go check out the Instagram. I, I'm I'm glad there's still people able to you know to find the funny in things. This is obviously a serious situation, especially for Ricky and his nephew and the family. But um, wild, wild stuff. Now, step to the next wild thing that happened this week, this past week. I don't know if a lot of people have seen this yet, but. Elon Musk. So Elon just came out recently saying he had another two kids with like an exec from his business, uh, Tesla or SpaceX. I forgot which one she was the exec with, but they did sex and they have two kids. I I don't know if they're twins or not, but he's on a race to uh, erase the the declining population in this world. Uh, Him and Nick Cannon are sort of going um, back and forth on who can... Who can have the most kids? It kind of reminds me, by the way, of the home run race between McGuire and Sosa back in whatever it was, 2000-something, 98 maybe? I don't know. It was a while ago. But that home run race where they were going back and forth, it was like every week each person was one-upping each other on who had the most home runs in the league and who was going to break Maris's record first. Uh, and it seems that way with Nick Cannon and Elon Musk. Every time one of them announces a pregnancy with one of their baby mamas, another one is right there to kind of one-up them. Oh, you have one, Nick Cannon? Well, I have twins with a secretary. And we're just going to keep going around. We're going to find all these women with our billions of dollars, and we're just going to keep procreating and repopulating the earth. Now, why am I talking about Elon Musk? Well, speaking of procreation... His father, I forgot the jabroni's name, Errol Musk. It's something like that. It's an E word, an E name, excuse me, and it's not a normal name. It's not a, uh, a regular name. It's, e, it's like Errol or Aerosol or some, some shit like that. He has just come out bragging, by the way. He's not like, he wasn't caught in the act bragging that his, he and his stepdaughter... Okay, follow me here. Have two kids together. Just had her second kid recently, or she just announced the pregnancy of her second kid. Stepdaughter, guys. Okay? He was married to some broad. She had a kid already. He helped raise her into adulthood. And then after he broke it off with 
the wife, he started doing sex with the stepdaughter. Now, apparently the first time he was saying how it was uh, sort of like a, uh, uh, not a mistake, but just a a per-chance encounter. She was coming off like a bad relationship. She just got dumped by her boyfriend or she caught him cheating or something like that. And he was there consoling her as a stepfather figure. And the next thing you know, he's putting his pee-pee in her wee-wee. And then she got pregnant and had a kid. He makes no mention of the fact that he has two kids with her. So even if the first one was just an emo- you know, emotional chaos and they were here in the moment and they did sex and now she's got a kid, what was the second one, dude? You helped raise this girl from a child into an adult and to celebrate her success in adulthood, you bork her and, and give... And, and have two kids with her. And now he's on the table for the race for procreation against his son and Nick Cannon. And they're just neck and neck, going back and forth, all three of them, in this wild billionaire sex race. So I, I might have to put, I might have to go get and like put up a tally on like, uh, get like a whiteboard and tally up the kids so we can keep track of them and all, and who's doing sex to who, and, and who's popping out what kids for who. And see who, you know, who's the first to come up with a full baseball team of 25-man roster. And I honestly don't know who it's going to be. Now, we're not done yet, guys. We're not done yet with the, with the I don't even know what to call this week. It's a real circus act, that's for, well, that's for sure. Everybody is, uh, most people are big fans of the NFL. Um, most people in the New York, New Jersey area know about this guy, Zach Wilson. He's the quarterback for the Jets. I think the number one draft pick or something like that from BYU, okay? Mormon BYU, Brigham Young over in the Utah area where they do Mormons and soaking and magic underpants. He is now in the news blowing up this week, going vile for everything. He's in the news now because first his ex-girlfriend pops up on social media now dating his best friend or what's his former best friend now. And everyone's up in arms about that, calling her a homie hopper. Well, she gets on in response to all that publicly stating, well... Zach cheated on me with his mom's best friend. Let that sink in for a second. There's been a lot to process already in the first 10 minutes here, so I get it. So Zach Wilson, who was dating a smoke show, all-American guy from Brigham Young, Mormonism, and all that holier-than-thou stuff that he practices, he He borked his mom's best friend, got busted. She dumped him. She started dating his best friend. So everybody's having sex this past week with everybody else. Every every pornographic movie and scene and storyline that you've ever seen or heard about is coming to life in this very week alone. I'm waiting now for the pizza man to impregnate 
some housewife, the plumber to check some broads pipes. It's all on the table now, folks. And I'd be willing to bet one of those guys, Nick Cannon, Elon Musk, Aerosol Musk, they're the ones dressing up like Super Mario the plumber to go clean pipes and make kids. Turn seam into babies. Wild stuff. Wild stuff. Now, here's another thing. that I, This is actually important stuff that's going completely under the radar. Everybody's talking about who's doing sex with who, who's having whose kids. Khloe uh, Kardashian, apparently, or one of the Kardashians is, is about to have another kid through a surrogate. So everyone's having kids with everyone doing sex, putting peepees in other peepees all, all day long. Meanwhile, over the past couple weeks, and I know I sound like a broken record, but I just want to keep people informed of what's going on with your tax dollars. Another upwards of $2 billion in the past three weeks was sent over to Ukraine for more equipment and, and military support. Okay? Right under our noses. One point something billion last week, 500 something million the week before, and 400 million the week before that. Now, just to put this in perspective for you, a coworker and I had a discussion, and we did a little, um, a, a little thought exercise, math exercise, if you will. We took our incomes individually and calculated what the income, what our actual take home is per year. We sub, we we neglected uh, our our debt and our costs and what we pay, so. All that's gone. Just pretend like, just like in physics class, a frictionless surface. Let's pretend it's not there. So we're just getting income. There's no, there's no debt. There's no cost. We're not, we're not spending any money. If we just take in our full 100% income every year for the next, I think we did 20, 20 years, that would accumulate to about $7 million. Okay. So $7 million over 20 years. So let's do that. Let's do easy math. We'll go $3.5 million in 10 years. All right? Just to get to even close to one week's worth of spending that, that the government did to Ukraine three weeks ago, they spent $400 million, $3.5 million in 10 years, so what is the math on that? 100 years for me individually at the current income rate I have to be able to pay for that? $350 million. That's still not the $400 million that was paid in one shot, sent right over there, no, no questions asked, okay? Now add that up to the 60-plus billion total that we've spent and given to Ukraine in money and equipment and financial support. Think about how many lifetimes you have to live to pay that, okay? So I just want to put that in perspective for you. Meanwhile, here's another great thing. Remember when they said before we started doling out taxpayer cash and printing paper to give to Ukraine? Everyone asked, like, how are you going to track the weapons and, and, and... the accountability of it all. And they said, don't worry, we got it covered. Don't worry about it. Well, guess what, folks? It's not covered because they don't know where the weapons are going. 
the vast majority, in fact, have been seen being sold to other nations on the dark web. So they're literally just shipping out one-way shipping of equipment and weapons and money, and then that's it, wiping their hands with it and being like, hey, if it gets there, it gets there. If not, oh well, it's not my money, it's the taxpayer money. So I don't give a shit. So $60 billion in money and equipment, and I guess that includes the $20 billion that they secretly gave back to the U.S. government to line their own pockets with that they didn't tell you about, that only here at the LPDS we talked about. So you think four, you figure $40 billion gone, unaccounted for, gone. Okay? And they try to tell you that has nothing to do with inflation or high rates of things and that. It's all connected. It might not be directly connected. It's not the direct correlation of why we have all these issues we got in the economy right now. But it's all intertwined. You can't just print paper and print money and just start doling it out and not expect the value of the dollar to go down. That's just ludicrous. Okay? And the only reason I keep bringing this up is because we're the ones paying for it and we're the ones who have technically the power to vote these people in or out of office. Okay, these are all the people in Congress and the Senate that nobody pays attention to during election time and actually educates themselves on who these people are, what their policies are, what their history is of their actions, not just what they're campaigning and their fake promises. That's who we're voting in. And that's who's blindly signing these blank checks to whoever they want to keep facilitating these wars. Not to mention the whole thing that they now they're sneaking in. Iran into the mix saying, oh, Iran's getting involved in in more nuclear weapons stuff, so we got to be careful of that. Because again, if you want to put the tinfoil hat on, they're doing that whole creation, you know, the military complex has to keep on going. The profit train has to keep on rolling. So they got to find ways to spend the money to keep that thing going. So they're creating issues. We have no involvement in the Ukraine thing at all. And they keep saying, hey, we got to help these people, humanitarian effort, this and that. Also, we don't want the war to be here. We don't want Russia to start at World War III, so we got to worry about that. And it's all poppycock. Russia, whatever they're doing is obviously wrong. I don't agree with it whatsoever. The guy's a psychopath over there, Putin. An absolute nut job, murderer, psycho. But his beef's with Ukraine. He wants to conquer Ukraine. They're getting literally uh, virtually no help from the rest of the NATO countries or the European Alliance or whatever it's called, European Union, whatever weirdo name it is. It's all on us, and we just have no problem just sending the money out, sending the money out because the military-industrial complex keeps rolling, their pockets get lined, and the powers that be continue to get the votes and stay in power. That's how it all works. All right. Take the tinfoil hat off. It's gone. We're done with that. We're done. I don't want to bitch about it anymore, but I am going to try to keep the updates coming as far as how much money we're spending on this so-called you know, humanitarian effort to save these people because we're paying for it. All right? 
the more and more money we send out there and, and print up for them unaccounted for, the worse and worse it gets for us here. All right, so keep that in mind. Now, on to bigger, better, more fun things. In this, I keep looking around in this stupid house that's empty. It's a sad state of affairs. Anyway, what the hell am I talking about? Oh, we'll, we'll just uh, get right into it. We'll step into the cage. Okay, let's run. All right. Today's Into the Cage segment is proudly sponsored by the Space Pen. Do you ever find yourself trying to write in your diary at night upside down and your pen won't work and you just can't get the words out appropriately to talk about how you love your stepdaughter? Do you also want to be the coolest person in your condo community with a sweet pen used by the astronauts? Well, now you can with the space pen. You see, NASA needed a device for the astronauts to write in zero-gravity space. So instead of using a goddamn pencil like a smart person would, they decided to spend millions of dollars creating a pen that writes in, in no gravity. So, to try and make some of that money back, they're offering that pen to the public for the low, low price of $290. So to get your very own space pen today, head on down to the Kennedy Space Center, sneak onto the military base gift shop, and if you use the promo code FAKEMOONLANDING, you'll get 2.9% off your bail when you inevitably get sent to Guantanamo Bay. Space pen. Take the pen. Take the pen. It's a good pen. It writes upside down. It writes in space in case you ever find yourself in space without a pencil. So, all right, there you go. All right, the cage fact. So, more articles are coming out about Face Off, which I love because Face Off is one of the top movies of all time. Um, And there was a couple more facts about Nick Cage while filming that, that movie. There's a lot of more, a lot more nuance behind the film and its origins and who was supposed to be in the in the role and what the actual storyline was originally supposed to be about. Uh, I'll get into all that later on at a different time. Um, but one of the things that was interesting was um, in the in the famous scene where um, Nick Cage is already playing um, Sean Archer, pretending to be Caster Troy. So he's back in his his supervillain lair. With uh, that hot chick, um, you know, his baby mama, uh, the bald guy, Nick Cassavetes with the big nose, famed, famed actor and, uh, and a Hollywood guy. Uh, and he's talking about how he wants to get Sean Archer, which he knows is really Caster Troy in his face because they already did the face off. That scene where he's talking to Nick Cassavetes, the bald dude, he improvised it. Cassavetes actually said that he's a very, Nick himself, he's talking about himself here, he's a very uh, by-the-book sort of actor. When he gets his script uh, and they make their edits before shooting the film, he follows the script. So when Nick Cage comes in and improvises, he didn't really know what to do. He decided to also improvise as well. And that scene where Nick Cage goes, I want to take his face off and he does the whole hand thing where he does a, a pseudo hand waterfall on his face and then goes off like that. If you see it in YouTube, Bill, 
And Cassavetti said that he didn't know what to do because he's in his head he's like, oh my God, he just said the title of the movie in the movie. He broke the fourth dimension or whatever it's called. So Cassavetti's, he, you know, he improvised or adapted and he started saying it as well. So then they go back and forth where he's like, face off? And he's like, yeah, face off. And he's like, face off. And they go 10 minutes of face off. All they're saying is face off to each other. And it's, a, and it's a great scene, a memorable one. It's awesome, especially when he does the whole hand thing with the face off. Famous, famous scene. And it's because Nick Cage just decided, that's what I'm doing. That's what my character is doing right now. We're breaking the fourth wall, fourth dimension, whatever you call it. And now, it, now we're mentioning face-off in the movie Face-Off. So that's the Cage fact. There's more, more Nick Cage facts specific to that movie from that article. Um, so stay tuned for that. It was a pretty good article and, and a lot of good insight into the movie itself. It was very interesting stuff. Um, so if I can find a place to do it, I'll post a link. Maybe on the website uh, under this episode, I'll post a link to that article so you guys can read it for yourselves. All right. Spin the logo up, move it to the junction. Let's keep it rolling here. Uh, this should be a short one. Hopefully, I already did like 25 minutes of bitching and moaning about stuff as it is. So we'll just keep the keep the uh, the train rolling, the junction train rolling. So everybody who's anybody in New Jersey knows about the passing of James Con, actor James Con, and actor Tony Sirico. They both died last week. Uh, both old. I think Tony Sirico was, I don't know, 70s or 80s. James Conn was in his 80s, I think. Old guys. Um, these guys were mainstays in in the mafia, tough guy, good fella style genre of movies and TV shows. Um, James Conn was Sonny in The Godfather. Godfather is arguably the best mafia movie of all time. And that's just not just my opinion. That's like an objective, you know, uh, thing out there in the ether. Uh, so he played Sonny, who was the uh, the oldest son of the Godfather, Marlon Brando's character. And uh, he, spoiler alert: he dies in the first one. He gets shot up at a at a toll booth. Um, but he was a tough guy, you know, real emotional, super Italian type. Stooping bridesmaids, even though his wife was waiting outside for him, all all the the standard stuff. He was also in Mickey Blue Eyes with that weirdo Hugh Grant, and he also played a mafia guy in there. And he's been in, in other stuff too. Most of his roles, he's played that tough guy Ginzo Goomba Italian type. He also played that tough guy role in that TV show Las Vegas. Uh, that was a pretty good show where he like he's the the head of security for the Montecito, which is a fake. Was a fake casino in Vegas that was that they mimicked? Uh, not Montego Bay. That's a stupid uh, Mandalay Bay. That casino in Vegas. So good show. He also played a tough guy. Fun fact about James Khan: He's actually a Jewish guy in real life. He's not even Italian. He's not a mobster. He's not mobbed up. He's a Jewish fella from New York, and he's just a damn good actor. Uh, and his son's a pretty good actor too. Scott Khan, little guy. Little beefy guy, not fat beefy, but like uh, buff, buff beef. Um, so he passes away. Tony Sirico uh, was in Goodfellas and several other Italian style mafia movies and shows, but what he's most famous for recently was 
uh, his role as Paulie Walnuts, Paulie Goltieri in the TV show Sopranos, which, again, not my opinion, objectively speaking, is arguably the best TV show in history. Um, especially on HBO, there's that. They talk about The Wire being up there. But as far as drama TV shows go, uh, TV series, uh, that's always in the top five at least uh, when you're discussing shows. And it, it changed the game forever. Now, with these passings of these, these acting legends in the Italian-American movie world comes sort of the topic of what I want to talk about and kind of, kind of bitch about for a second. The Italian-American community on social media lost their minds about this. If you, if you see all the posts going on, sad posts, video montages, clips from their acting chops, pictures of them signing stuff, all this stuff, oh, so sad to see. You would think each person posting these lost a family, mem- family member. What the hell did I just say? Family member. Losing it here. So, you're, this my page is getting flooded with these. There's I've only seen like a couple people actually worked with these guys make mention of it on social media. Everybody else I've seen has been Italian-American pages, Mafia pages, Sopranos uh, fan pages, Goodfellas fan pages, Godfather fan pages, you know, any any sort of... Ginza wannabe fan pages are pouring their hearts out on this like they lost their brother. Now, on one hand, I can sort of see what's going on because I don't know how I would react if, if, if Nick Cage, if the great one, passes on tomorrow. I never met the guy, but obviously I have some sort of uh, fandom, emotionally-based fandom towards him, so I don't know how I'd react. I don't know if I would eulogize him on social media like he was my brother, but I might post a picture on it. I don't know. But this brings me to the real real issue. As I, I started thinking about it, I started digging into some of these pages and these people, and they all share some commonalities that I wanted to bring up and to teach some lessons here for you guys before you guys go out and make these same mistakes. And I made these mistakes before as a you, and I'll get into that in a little bit here. But these people, as you dig further in, are not just paying homage. I did it again. I don't know if it's homage or homage, and I still haven't looked it up. What the hell is wrong with me, Libretti? Get it together. Anyway, it's not just them paying respects to these great actors who did so much for for this genre and the community uh, by by playing these roles so well and being so entertaining, these people actually have taken on this fake tough guy like persona, legitimately thinking they're mobbed up, they're tough guys, they're just like Paulie Walnuts or Sonny from The Godfather. And not just on social media. I know some of these people personally. I grew up with some of them. I went to high school with some of them. I played against them in sports. These people legitimately think that they are the godfather of their respective friend circles. And I just don't understand what that is all about. What makes you want 
to live that life of a criminal or a wannabe criminal, really. Dressing the part, talking like it, using you know the, the tree fingers when you're pointing at people, talking tough, acting tough, wearing tracksuits as a 45-year-old adult, wearing sunglasses inside, 85 gold chains, talking about the good old days, old school shit, all that stuff. Even even my boy Big Time Tommy is is living that life now. Now, exceptions for guys like him, he's built a persona and an income stream based off of that. So that is legitimately his his job now is to live that character. And when he goes out in public, people want to see Big Time Tommy. They don't want to see just some fatso named Thomas Romola. So I can I kind of understand that. But I'm talking about guys like me. We have regular jobs. We probably we likely live at home with our parents still in New Jersey and Verona or something like that. Peaked in high school and are still popping their their Adidas collars on their track suits, gelling their hair back like Paulie D with that 25-year-old hairstyle, the blowout, and talking tough and acting tough like they're a good old boy. I, I don't understand that. Now, I, I did this stuff back in the day. When I was a kid, when you're a kid and you're, you're a youngster and your brain's not fully developed, you mirror and you take on the roles of your idols. So I went through a Rocky phase. I went through a Marty McFly phase. I went through a World War II veteran slash turned postal worker turned junkyard phase, junkyard owner phase after my grandfather. Okay? I turned struggling lawyer phase after my father. As I'm developing and learning and growing, I'm, I'm seeing what I like on TV or through my experiences with life and people I admire, and you sort of mirror that and you take on that role a little bit. So I understand that. But when you're 40 years old and you're, and you're a, a manager at a Ruby Tuesdays, what are you doing wearing a tracksuit hanging out outside the meat market, talking tough, smoking cigars, finger-pointing at everybody, threatening them, and being a, being a fraud. It's all fakery. What, do you get, what are you doing? Are you trying to escape your shitty life because you didn't work hard and make something on yourself and you stopped trying after high school? Do you think it's fun to pretend to be a bad guy, a mobster? Thinking, oh, this is how Paulie Walnuts is going to live on through me because I'm going to wear these pinstripe suits with these ridiculous collars and pinky rings and everyone's going to see me and be like, oh, it reminds me of Paulie Walnuts and Tony Sirico. Give me a break with that. It doesn't. You look like a clown. And unless you, you are that person, you grew up in that life, you look like a clown. Not to mention the thing I I mentioned earlier again. They're frauds. These people are frauds. They're not really in the mob. If you ask them to do anything that actually breaks the law, like mobsters do, killing, stealing, racketeering, gambling, uh, bookie, bookkeeping, 
I was going to say bookie stuff, but bookkeeping. They're not doing any of that stuff. They're pretending to be tough in front of their friends. They're threatening people in town, and they have no leverage whatsoever. They're not real tough guys. It's a persona to escape their failures in life. And they're putting it out there. They're so sad that they lost one of the greats in their community. Meanwhile, these guys are actors. James Kahn, as much as I love him as an actor, he's not, a, he's not even Italian. So you're paying tribute and you're, and you're keeping his legacy alive by acting like one of his characters. This is a guy who made millions of dollars in success and put food on the table for his family pretending to be something else. And these people are doing it. They're pretending, and they're not getting anything out of it. They're not getting, they're not putting food on their tables for their families. They're not getting any fame out of it besides Big Time Tommy, pretty much. Nothing. I see some, uh, there was this video going around. It was like a TikTok about, uh, it was a Goodfellas scene that people were re- recreating where um, in the movie Goodfellas, Ray Liotta, rest in power, He's talking about all the people in the scene. He's like, this is Tommy two times. This is Joey Baloney. This is, you know, Paulie Balsack, whatever it is. And it's a, it's a very uh, well-known montage or whatever scene in Goodfellas. And people have been doing it on TikTok with their, with their friends and, and, and dubbing over uh, Ray Liotta's, um, you know, monologue in it. And all these people, that's all, that's all these personas, these fakeries of these people pretending to be tough guys and wise guys. Meanwhile, they're like Charles Schwab financial advisors that are getting paid peanuts to try to sell you snake oil stocks. Wobistics. That's a Sopranos reference for some of you who don't get that. If I have to explain jokes. That's all it is. It's fakery. A lot of beta bitch boy fakery. And, and I'm telling you guys this because I don't want you to fall into that, into that web, if you will, that trap of thinking you're something you're not and, and losing sight of your own real life, who you are as a person and, and what you bring to the table for your friends and family and society. Because these people are so disillusioned. They believe that they're wise guys. And they're still living in one-bedroom apartments with their four kids, not being able to provide for them because they won't do actual work. They just put on the show to act tough. And now they're coming out of the woodwork because these actors passed away, which is sad. You don't like good people dying ever. But now they're coming out in droves like they were all in the mob together. And even the guys who actually cross the threshold into the mafia these days of the people I know, they're still not doing the real thing, the real deal. They're getting caught and they're ratting everybody out. They're doing what Ray Liotta did in Goodfellas, which is like the biggest no-no in mafia history. And everybody's doing it now. Everybody who crosses over into the mob world, who's doing murders and doing racketeering and, and bookkeeping, bookkeeping, I did it again. As soon as they get pinched, they start ratting everybody out because they were scared. Because they got in over their head. They thought it was just going to be like the movies where they can strip all these broads 
and sleep in piles of cash in the back of a strip club and life is going to be good. And then they get pinched and they realize this is real life, buddy. And they start, they start chirping. They start chirping real quick and they get everybody else in trouble and then the whole thing falls apart. I, went, I, I played baseball against this guy. I forgot his name. It was, you know, some stereotypical Italian name, Vinny Spottaccini or something like that, some asshole. He did that. He got mobbed up in a local syndicate, a local chapter of the, uh, of the Kiwanis Club Mafia in, in Nutley or Verona, New Jersey, or someplace like that, some stereotypical Italian place in, in New Jersey. And he's sloppy and stupid because he thought he was a tough guy, thinking, oh, I'm in the mob, I'm protected, I'm good to go. Got busted. And before he even got to the courtroom, he's like, give me the notepad. I'll tell you everything you need to know. Please don't do butt stuff to me in prison. Which is ironic because the people they idolize, the Paulie Walnutses, the Sonny Corleones, all these people did their time, shut their mouths, and got out of the clink unscathed. And they maintained the reputation and the success of the mafia in that time in those movies, in those shows. So you, you have these, these frauds who can't even actually back it up. And that's the real moral of the story. It's don't talk about it, be about it. If you're going to put on that persona, if you're going to make that decision that you're going to do all the, the show stuff to be a wise guy or to be anything, an athlete, whatever, do the go stuff. Don't just show, go. Put your money where your mouth is, where your pinky rings are, and actually get mobbed up. And then when you get pinched, you shut your damn mouth and you tough it out in prison and you come out a better man for it, a tougher guy, more respected in your family. And you'll actually put money on your table. For your family. So that's all I got. Moral of the story for anything in life, don't talk about it, be about it, okay? There's enough frauds and fakes and scams and catfishes going on in this world as it is. Don't be that. We're better than that in the LPDS. We're better than that in the junction. Don't be the phony. Don't be the fraud. As, as cool as it looks on TV... If you can't back it up and you can't wear the shit that comes with it, because it's not, there's nothing in this life is just good. There's always shit that comes with it you got to deal with and you got to weigh the cost benefit of living those lives and doing those, uh, those ventures, if you will. And being a tough guy, wise guy is no different. All right? So remember that as I sign off here. Before I do, though, one more time in this compound, the OG compound, the big three. The three pillars to follow to being a better, happier, less stressed human being in your life and to stay strong. Number one, exercise every day. Whatever it is, getting steps in, jumping jacks, working out. Find a way to burn calories, get your heart rate up, get the chemicals surging through your body. And you can go and talk, you can look at any scientist's uh, 
articles or podcasts that they have out there, they all say the same thing. All right? Physical exercise helps your physical health, your mental health, and your emotional health more than any drug or surgery can possibly do. Number two, the hardest one to do is to not be a shitty person. And that's especially important in the social media world, on the internet, where the easiest thing to do is to fire off troll messages and be an asshole and hide behind your keyboard, be a text message tough guy, thinking that, oh, it's just a profile on the other side. It's not a human being. There was a guy, I'm going to talk about myself for a second. There's a guy out there, he's got an Instagram page. He's He's, he's got a pretty good following, maybe 100,000 followers, 90,000 followers, something like that. He does a lot of uh, food reviews. He used to be a pro wrestler, uh, this and that. And he opened up a, a, a cookie shop. And he started, I'm going to give you a, the, a, the quick and dirty, but I want to put this in context for you and why it's important for number two of the big three, okay? He put out, uh, he opened this cookie shop. He started making cookies during COVID and, and shipping them out, on, you know, online, sell them online because they were getting popular and he was getting a lot of good successful business out of it. And he made the decision to open up a storefront where he lives and the thing absolutely bombed. It was a financial nightmare. I don't know what he was thinking when he decided to do that. The The online business was booming. All he probably really had to do was just uh, set up a separate like facility on his property maybe or, or get his kitchen a little bit bigger so he can keep shipping them out and make it a full-time job and not have to worry about the overhead of owning a shop and the insurance and the rental payments and all the stuff that goes with it. And you're also cutting your customer base out because now you're a storefront, you're not online. Maybe he was doing both, I don't know. Either way, his storefront looked awesome. It had arcade games, comic books, all this stuff, thinking that people were going to go and hang out there. But really, it was just a cookie shop. You go, you buy cookies, you get out. And the people cross-country don't go there. So long story short, the business bombed, and he's been posting all these dramatic posts. It was only like a year. It was only open a year maybe about how it was, you know, it it failed, and I don't want to make excuses, but this and this and this happened, and blah, blah, blah. And he's posting pictures where it looks like he's sitting there sad on the floor of his storefront because he has to close it down. But the phone is on the ground, that he set up himself, and then he went over in front of it to sit down to look sad to get the picture taken of him so that he could post it so it looks sad because there's nobody else in there. Unless he had his kids or his wife take the picture, hey, take this picture of me so I look sad. And he posted there, and he puts these diatribes on there, how sad he is, and blah, blah, blah. What I'm getting at here, follow me. The first thing I wanted to do was call that that bullshittery out. Not because I th- I don't like I wasn't even considering him as a human being at the time. I was just like this guy is is fishing for for drama and sympathy and uh, and attention because he obviously put the photo the phone down himself to take that picture. It's very similar to the nurse TikTok that's out there this past week or two where the nurse uh, is has dramatic music in the background and she's sitting there like reacting sadly to losing a patient and the caption is something like like that feeling you get when you lose another patient. Meanwhile, she clearly just set the phone up, 
hit record and then started acting sad and distraught and putting her mask off and doing all that stuff. So they were seeking attention. They were trying to get likes and follows or whatever. Uh, and I wanted to call it out because you see all these comments of people, oh, sad about the business, keep, keep trucking, all this other good stuff. And in my blind emotional rage, I wanted to be like, hey, did you just put your phone down and take that picture of yourself for the, for the Instagram, for the gram? But I, I didn't. And I'm not, this is not a brag. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm proving that we all feel that way. We all see some bullshittery or things we think are bullshittery on social media, on the internet that people are posting or saying or doing. And the first reaction you have is emotionally driven to call them out and make them look like an idiot so that they, so that they stop the bullshit. You think in your head, we're going to stop this bullshit once and for all. But I step. I, I didn't do it. I stepped back. I realized this guy is probably legitimately sad. He's probably sitting in his feelings right now thinking like, man, I really fucked up. Whether he's saying it out loud or not, he has to feel the responsibility of failing a business and have to go back to the drawing board to support his family. The last thing that he should have to endure on top of that utter failure and feeling like an utter failure, even though he's really not, He's a hard worker and a successful guy otherwise. The last thing that he should want is, or, or get is a deluge of hate from internet bastards like myself calling him out for bullshit or whatever you think is bullshit. That's just going to keep spiraling him down into a sadder, sadder state. And it's very easy to just say, hey, it's the internet. Just turn it off. And I say that a lot too. Just turn it off and don't read the comments and you'll be good to go. But it's never that easy. Human beings are human beings. We have feelings and emotions and issues going on just like everybody else. And that's the importance of number two, of not being a shitty person. Okay, and again, this is not a brag. This is just proving that I feel the same way as all these shit posters. And it's very easy to just fire it off, fire and forget. But we got we to gotta take the time to step back and think about the bigger picture of it all. Number three, the most important one, be genuinely thankful and grateful for all the good you have in your lives. Another quick story because I'm dragging this on again as Randy comes out of hiding for a little bit here in YouTube land. Um, I'm in the middle of my move this the last week and I'm doing it by myself. It's just me and the dog. So I have to you know, clean my house out myself. I have to separate what I'm taking with my car and what the movers are taking. Um, I have to do this all while making sure the dog is not like escaping out the door or chasing people or whatever he's doing. And I'm also working and doing whatever else in my life. Okay, every, every, just like everybody else. We all have full lives and then this is just added on to that. And I'm sitting outside when the movers are here packing my, my life up my past six years in this compound, um, I'm outside with the dog and I'm sitting here again thinking, this really sucks doing this by yourself. I really wish I had someone here, significant other, uh, brother, friend that lived close enough that can just at least be there to talk and bullshit just for the moral support of it all. I'm in my head thinking that. As I'm thinking that, I get a text message from my brother. I'm not going to I'm not going to blast their name out there uh, because this is a you know, private conversation. Just randomly saying how, how thankful they are 
that we're friends and, and we're and we're family essentially. And I call everybody brothers, guy, girl, everybody that close to me that's family equivalent is I call them brothers. It's just the the stupid vernacular I use. So they reached out just randomly saying, Hey, thanks for being always being there for me and I hope we can always be there for you and this and that and and I couldn't tell you there was no words to describe how good that made me feel how appreciated and um how thankful I am to have that person in my life um and it made me feel better overall throughout the rest of the week uh and that's really the message of of number three being genuinely thankful and grateful it's not just about stepping back and and uh and being thankful and saying that I you appreciate other people, it's also being able to receive that and take it in and understand how helpful and beneficial that is. Um, and that will in turn lead you to, to more actively be grateful and thankful for the good you have in your lives. So it's a two-way street here. If you're appropriately open to receiving gratitude and thankfulness from people, which I'm not really good at usually. You can ask all my friends and family. When people give me accolades or say good things about me, I, I try to diminish them and self-deprecate. Um, so if you're open to it and you receive it you, and you feel how good that feels for you and how much that, that helps you, even in that moment, you'll in turn be more active in your gratitude towards other people and the goodness spreads. And if you follow the big three, all that goodness is going to spread. Your physical, emotional, mental health will improve. You'll be a nicer person to others. You'll be more grateful to actively giving and receiving gratitude. And, and that shit spreads like wildfire. Now that's all I have. That's all I got. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget, hit the hotline. I love the hotline calls. I haven't received many lately. Everyone's busy with their lives, I understand. But if you got a couple seconds, pop in on the hotline. Give me a troll. Give me a joke. Ask me a question. Maybe some topics you want to hear me bitch about on the show. Some poll questions, whatever it is. Hit the hotline, 202-670-1114. And I'll pop it up on uh, on a future episode. I love to hear that feedback. But thank you guys for everything. I love you all. From the last time at the original LPDS compound before we move onward and upward, stay strong.